Hi, I'm Hannah. And I'm Sarah. And this is Big Small Talk. This is the podcast where we try and cover the entirety of the news cycle from the serious to the frivolous all in one place. Because loving pop culture doesn't mean you don't understand politics. So this week we're going to talk about, well, the update on the Spanish kiss. We're also going to talk about the Scooter Braun drama, Fire Festival return, and also Peter Dutton and Lucy Letby. What a combination. It's a pretty big lineup today. It's a huge lineup. But first, I would like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we're recording today, the Gadigal people, and pay our respects to elders past and present. First, before we get into the headlines, what's your personal headline? My personal headline includes you. Oh. Isn't that special? You're calling it our expedition. Yeah, we went to a expedition. I got that fully from Fleabag because I was watching that earlier in the week. Oh, I, look, Fleabag is on repeat like six times a year. And yeah, quite I'm literally. A, I'm obsessed. But this is not what we did last week. We actually went to, if anyone follows G-Spot on Instagram, her company, Normal Co, had a, basically a body confidence course launch. And so we got to go to the event together. Um, like a couple of influencers. Just a couple of influencers. Just a couple, and no, you know how cool we are? Before we entered the event, I was in there by myself with a wine <laughs> in hand and I was like, dear God, Sarah, please. I'm, I get... Oh, Everyone's so friendly. Everyone's lovely. But my social anxiety, actually quite high. And Sarah's texting me, I'm outside. But I was I like... was waiting for you out front because I was too scared to go in. And when you texted and you were already in, I was like, God, that was brave of her. And then I went in and found you. I was standing by myself looking like, please don't talk to me, anyone. It was tragic. But it was actually a really fun event. Everyone was super friendly. And um, they had like lemon meringues that were like vulvas scorched into the top. Yeah. And like it was super cute. And we got vibrators to take home. Yeah, we got a free vibrator which was great yeah before we started recording I was like to Sarah I think I've got 12 this year gifted to me and Sarah was like you have a problem <laughs> <laughs> well you talk you talk about sex and relationships on cheek and so companies are like there you have it yeah and so now I'm like what do I do I have one of every single one it's it's kind of awesome and terrifying <laughs> to have a toy box of vibrators <laughs> when my parents come to stay I'm like I have to hide these in a locked cabinet somewhere my personal headline of the week is actually another event I got to go to a Barbie-themed party on Saturday. Oh, you've had which, a big week. A huge week, and I was just so excited for that. And I loved it. Some of the guys got really into it as well. Like, there was Cowboy Ken's, there was Fuckboy Ken. Oh, there I love was, that. Yeah, yeah. There, some guy came as Alan. Like, Slay. With the rainbow shirt. And I was like, I love this commitment to the theme. Yep. So much fun. Oh my God, those fun headlines. Fun headlines. All right, should we get into the actual headlines? Yes, let's go. The Spanish Football Federation has backflipped on their threat to sue player Jenny Hermoso for lying and defamation after it seems they recently discovered that the forcible kiss by President Luis Rubiales was broadcast globally on live television. It's just insane how much back and forth there can be on something that was caught on, like, Caught in 4K. <laughs> yes, exactly. You are such a Gen Z. Thanks. I just, oh. That came, I heard myself say it and I hated it. But I know, it's true. I loved like, it's it. ridiculous that there's so much back and forth. And there's so much to this story and so much more has happened since last week, which is why I kind of wanted to run through it with people again because it's it gets weirder by the day. And fun fact, it's not really that fun, but the latest is also that the president, Rubiales's mother, the man who planted the kiss on her most so forcibly, she's taken to a hunger strike because she believes her son is being treated unfairly. Of all the reactions you can have, mm, I know. a hunger strike? It's giving, as someone in the office said this morning, it's giving 40-hour famine. <laughs> <laughs> it's just there's so many other ways 
to handle that like what are they going to be like she's starving yes. someone will have to just let him off the hook it's <laughs> like, so, I know stop his resignation <laughs> she is hungry it's so anyway. I, the idea of a hunger strike like tw- every 20 minutes I'm like I deserve a little sweet treat like I cannot even like fathom this sort of approach anyway let's keep going so in case you missed it the president of the Spanish Football Federation Luis Rubiales kissed Spanish forward Jenny Hermoso on the lips on stage during the official post-match ceremony at the World Cup final in Sydney on the 20th of August. Hermoso said on a live stream afterwards that she didn't like it. Then a statement was released on her behalf by the Spanish Federation in which they attributed these quotes to her. It was a totally spontaneous, mutual gesture because of the immense joy that winning a World Cup brings. The president and I have a great relationship. His behaviour with all of us has been outstanding and it was a natural gesture of affection and gratitude. That was the craziest thing because it was so clearly not from her. So clearly (laughs) not. And that spin was the pivot from I'm uncomfortable to mutual gesture of affection, he's brilliant, like it's great. on the her behalf. Exactly. It was so obvious. But then, so this is where it starts to get like this big web basically. The following day... Rubiales came out and called critics of the kiss idiots, okay? Then, basically the part that we were up to last week was that he had come out and apologised on the morning that we were recording last Tuesday. I think also just to note, a lot of people in comment sections are asserting like, oh, I just thought it was a cultural difference. Mm -hmm. But it's really important to note that it's not. This is not acceptable in Spain and their government, including their acting prime minister, have come out and said that the apology that Rubiales gave was not enough. Mm -hmm. Like he needs to go further to acknowledge that the behaviour was unacceptable. And he was behaving this way with all of the players. Like the kiss on the mouth was like the next level. But I think that anyone watching that post-match ceremony really clearly saw that he was so overly affectionate and uncomfortable with mm. all of the players. And if you you can go back to our last week's episode, but we tried to unpack it a bit as well. There's so much more context to this kiss and there's also a lot to suggest that he doesn't have the best relationship with any of these players. No, so. and exactly. Go to last week's episode for some more context, but I want to still highlight. So last Wednesday, Hermoso released a statement with her management team and the players' union stating that they would be defending her interests, taking over the matter, and working to ensure exemplary measures are adopted to protect women footballers from actions that we believe are unacceptable. The same day, Spain's Women's Football League called for Rubiales to be fired. Then FIFA gets involved, right? Finally. So (laughs) so we've got like the Spanish national level and now it's gone to the International Federation with FIFA. Yeah. FIFA announced they will be undertaking an investigation and that they believe Rubiales' actions may have constituted a violation of their disciplinary code. Now, since then, FIFA have suspended Rubiales from all all football-related activities at national and international level. That's huge. It is huge. Now, then at this point, there was reports coming out that he intended to resign, but he hasn't. Now, this is where things go from bad to worse, right? If it couldn't get worse. The Spanish Football Federation holds an emergency assembly. Rubiales comes out and speaks and says he will not resign and he is the victim of social assassination. (laughs) Right? Double down. Double down. (laughs) A lot of doubling down today. He went on to say that it was Jenny Hermoso who initiated physical contact by lifting him up off the ground by the hips. So there is in the footage, he's forcibly holding her face and pulling it in, right? But she does lift him up. Mm. But it's he's trying to claim that she's lifting and, and pulling him onto her sort of thing, even though we can see in the footage what's happening. He said he asked Hermoso if he could give her a little peck and she said okay. In that, yep. apparently all yep. in that. Yep, you, you, the same footage that you and I both watched. It's pretty incredible. Like, 
most of the time when you hear stories like this, it's like innately very he said, she said. Yeah. There is actually no room in the story to be he said, she said. It was all recorded and yet we're still getting the same dialogue. That's exactly right. And, and, and like to the point where during this speech, he said the kiss was spontaneous, mutual, euphoric... So what's spontaneous about, can I give you a little pet? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't, want to be, I, don't want, I don't know what to be more concerned about, the idea of the spontaneity but the claim that he asked for consent mm. or the euphoric. Like, it's what? Now, on Friday, Hermoso said pressure had been put on her to make Rubiales' actions okay. So she's had pressure from the, the various bodies and people to say just stop this, basically. Well, yeah, she had quotes on her behalf saying yeah. it was fine. But interestingly, she then comes out and says, I feel obliged to report that Mr Rubiales's words explaining the unfortunate incident are categorically false and are part of a manipulative culture that he himself has generated. So this is her saying that, you know, all of the claims he is making all of the wider context of the Spanish team, this is the vicious cycle that they're engaged in, basically. It's a really big big thing for her to come out and say. Oh my god, and I think it's terrifying. It, I think that she's doing a really good job of coming back to this idea of basic respect. She's not getting overly complex in the language. The statements are pretty simple and straightforward and she's saying over and over again, it wasn't consensual. I did not like it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not accusing him of anything. It's not demonizing him. It's purely stating the facts of how she feels about it and her position. Yeah. I think that's really notable. Now, all 23 players in Spain's winning side are refusing to play any international matches until the Spanish team's current leadership is removed. Now, it gets worse. The entire coaching staff connected to the World Cup win, except for the manager, have resigned. Huge. Now, on Sunday, the Spanish Football Federation threatened to sue Jenny Hermoso, basically saying that she was lying and defaming Rubiales. Be so hard to prove a defamation case, but, but they're sure. they're literally saying she was the instigator. They're also threatening all seventy nine players and members who signed this letter in support of her. A few hours ago, this is this morning breaking update. The Spanish Football Federation have since backflipped on this, and they have asked Rubiales to resign as prosecutors launch a sexual assault investigation into the matter. Police are involved now. Yes. Taken that for them to now be like, okay, this we're not going to win this. I think that actually what it says more in my perspective is that now it's about the damage that's been done to the reputation of Spanish football. I think because this is so global. And this has completely overshadowed what was supposed to be a great moment. Yeah, like I think that if this was something that happened like in Spain more privately, we wouldn't be seeing this backflip. Mm. That would be my assumption. I think because this has unfolded on the world stage and it's taken a massive hit to Spain's reputation in yeah. the like, international football community. Took international pressure. Yeah, and it, it's also like I don't know what's going to happen over the coming days. I'm sure there'll be breaking updates and we'll probably fill you in next week. But overwhelmingly, I think what's sad about this is that this should have just been a moment for women's sport. I also think, though, hopefully, like, although this has been pretty bloody traumatic for everyone involved, it has now led to what could be a new start. I'm hoping so. And I think that, you know, the outcome of this will set a precedent. Mm. But I also think it's important to remember, which I don't think people are getting, is a lot of... People in the comment section are like, people are overdoing this. The reaction's been absurd. Mm. But it's her workplace. Yeah. Like, I think we're not actually remembering that because she's a public figure and he's a public figure and this is playing out in the media and on a public stage, I think people need to bring it back to this idea of, like, how would you feel at your work if your boss came up to you and planted a kiss on your mouth without asking in the heat of the moment claiming? Yeah. And I think we need to position it as that because I don't think he would have done that to a man. <laughs> I think that's a hard point to be made, but I think it's true. Like, I think that there is this, 
this element here of like, why did why did he do that? Well, yeah, I think this is a very public facing example, but you should look at it as if it was any other workplace. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's how it should be treated. And that's how she should be treated. Mm. All of Hollywood has parted ways with manager Scooter Braun, TMZ reports. <laughs> this is so good. That is a niche headline and I don't think everyone's going to understand it. But if you were to go on Twitter right now and Google Scooter Braun, you will just see 5,000 memes that's like... Roy Kendall has parted ways with manager yes. Scooter Braun, TMZ reports. Big time rush has parted <laughs> ways with Scooter Braun. Like every celebrity ever has done it. And the joke is because there does seem to be a mass exodus in Hollywood right now against Scooter Braun. He actually also came out and made a tweet saying that he will no longer be managing himself. <laughs> Which, um, not a huge fan of him, but that was quite funny. I, I, did, I did see that and I chuckled and I was like, damn it. Like, I was annoyed at myself, uh, but I think it was quite funny. It was yeah, good. his it was PR good. agent, really, some yeah. Gen Z is on that. One small <laughs> like, win. <laughs> pretty much to recap, over the last week, reports of some pretty major artists have fired their manager, Scooter Braun, most notably Justin Bieber, Ariana Grande, Demi Lovato, and Adita Menzel. Um, this is huge, huge news because he himself is quite a controversial figure and quite a it's kind of insane that he's so well known because a lot of people don't know managers. I mean, I know who Scooter Braun is. We see him a lot. As, a, as far as managers go, you're right. He has a, a large public profile. But for people who don't know, who is he? So about 15 years ago, Scooter Braun became probably one of the most powerful managers in Hollywood because he signed the very talented tween YouTuber Justin Bieber. I remember this because from Justin Bieber's, it was an exceptional concert movie <laughs> and Scooter Braun was a major player in that film. 100%. It was a great movie when I was like 12. Yeah, no, they. I would say that Scooter made Justin's career oh, and vice versa. Yeah, absolutely. Completely yeah. agree. From then, he added some other pretty major names like Ariana Grande, Carly Rae Jepsen, Demi Lovato, Dina Menzel, Jay Balvin, Dan and Shay, the country duo, the Kid Leroy is signed oh, with him. This is interesting. I'm he learning has so much. Major, major clients. He's also the founder of the entertainment management company, SB Projects, and has founded and co-founded a few record labels. He is also the CEO of Hybe America, but if this is still not clicking for you, what you probably know him best for is in the context of Taylor Swift. Dun, dun. I love that every week I have a way to talk about Taylor Swift. I love it I, so I don't mean much. to, nope. but anyway, Please I'm going to briefly recap the Scooter Braun Taylor Swift drama because that is probably how he's best known. Pretty much Scooter Braun purchased Big Machine Records, who Taylor Swift was signed to, which Taylor was not happy about because it meant that he now owned her music and she hated him long before that. She summarized that pretty well in a tweet at the time. She said, essentially, my musical legacy is about to lie in the hands of someone who tried to dismantle it. This is my worst case scenario. Scooter then eventually sold her masters in 2020 to Shamrock Holding for 300 mil. When Taylor was asked if she was given the opportunity to buy back her music, she posted on Twitter, he would never even give my team a price. These master recordings were not to sale for me. So, yeah, he is a major reason of why the whole tales of re-recordings have happened. Probably and the only reason. She wouldn't have done it. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. And I think uh, plenty of Swifties are going to sleep pretty soundly and revel in the demise of uh, Scooter Braun. But I will say this, I mean, it's interesting and I love talking about it, but it is very much a separate story at least for now, until the news properly breaks as to why all this is happening or if there's a link. But nonetheless. <laughs> like, so what's actually happened with this story? So 
As I said, massive exodus of his major clients. The frenzy started after Puck News reported that Scooter and Justin allegedly hadn't spoken in months and were headed for a split. And both their reps then quickly denied this, so we were a bit unsure. But then Billboard started reporting that Demi Lovato had also parted ways. And then news broke of Ariana Grande leaving. Again, apparently amicable, just looking for a fresh start. And then news also broke that, like, Bad Bunny had left last year. Whoa, so everyone. uh, Everyone seems to be leaving. I do also think it's interesting to point out in the midst of all of this, Ariana then just re-recorded a 10th anniversary edition of her debut album. And Demi has also re-recorded her old songs in like a punk version. Feeling very Taylor Swift re-recording to me. It's so interesting. (laughs) I guess my immediate thought goes to, I know this is a bit of a worst case scenario, but I start speculating. I get suspicious that maybe there's an allegation or something about to come out and people are like getting ahead of it. Yeah, I think potentially news is going to break on this but as it stands right now speculation that there's a darker reasoning for all this and like that's about to break headlines is just that right now it's just speculation like this has been this has reached pretty unprecedented levels of he said she said with an obscene amount of like off the record confirmations and denials like one source will be saying one thing and then another source will come out and say another but no one's actually got a truth to any of this yet. Like, there's been no official reports on any of this. So there is a chance that this isn't as big a deal as it feels. And, like, again, plenty of reports saying that it could just be because he's stepping back in general from management and he's going to lean more into his CEO role at high, but it's just, it's not that big a deal. However, it does feel weird that if he was just transitioning into more of a CEO and it's fine, why is the wording of all of this so weird and why is it all coming out this way? Like, I just feel like if that was the case, it would have been handled so much better than this. Totally. It doesn't feel like it's in his control. No, and I just, I don't know, my spidey senses say there's something going on. I also thought it was really, really great tea when Jack Antonoff posted on his story. I don't know about this. So Jack Antonoff, who's Taylor Swift's, like, best friend and also writes her music with her, posted a hilarious meme to his story, which had a photo of Taylor and then a photo of, like, a Sims character with a baby burning in the background, but she's on the computer. Oh, I know this photo. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, if you know the meme. And it said, not now, sweetie. Mummy's trying to figure out why Ariana Grande, Demi Lovato and Adina Menzel just fired Scooter Braun as their manager. I love. So oh, funny. spicy. Also, Ariana Grande has unfollowed Scooter on Instagram. Again, doesn't feel very amicable to me. I will also just... And I know I probably shouldn't give airtime to this because it's sort of a ridiculous theory, but I'm going to just table it in case I am right. <laughs> but I love that. My favourite TikTok theory on this, because there's about a thousand TikTok theories right now, is that the FBI are after him. Oh my God. I know I probably shouldn't be saying, it's probably defamation, but this girl on TikTok explained how Taylor Swift tipped us off on this. Actually, ages ago with her song Vigilante Shit. What is the <laughs> Which line? is very much believed, that song is very much believed to be about Scooter Braun. And in it, she says, picture me thick as thieves with your ex-wife. She got the envelope. Where do you think she got it from? A little on the nose because they did just recently divorce. But then the line, well, he was doing lines and crossing all of mine. Someone told his white collar crimes to the FBI. <laughs> Holy shit, Sarah. I'm so glad I'm just learning this as we're doing right? this. I absolutely, that is just simply not enough to make that claim or go off. But, but you're not fun. defaming him because you're saying how absurd it is. It is absurd. But I like that you've tabled it. I've tabled it. That's all I'm saying. I just think something 
I hope something breaks on this because it just all feels too weird. I just don't think that anyone reputationally would allow this to happen if it wasn't out of their hands and something that they were trying to run from. I just, I would be absolutely shocked if in the coming two or three weeks we didn't hear anything more on this one. I can't wait. Neither. Apparently, human rights are optional and can be fixed with a quick asterisk. The Queensland government has overridden its own Human Rights Act for the second time this year. So... Last Wednesday, the Palaszczuk government suspended Queensland's Human Rights Act to introduce legislation to allow children to be kept in adult watch houses and adult prisons, even if it would not be compatible with human rights. Just get the red pen out yeah, a little bit. That's, that's essentially what happened. So the emergency legislation was passed on Thursday, a day after the act was suspended, and was added to an unrelated bill, along with a list of other changes contained in 57 pages of amendments. So... Basically, this amendment was tacked onto an unrelated piece of legislation and just passed through Parliament, which means it wasn't scrutinised by the committee processes. So it was an overnight change tacked onto other legislation and amendments, basically just in the thick of 57 pages of legislation. Which directly violates human rights. Yes. How did that even how did that even happen? Like how why was it rushed through? Yeah, so so basically the Youth Justice Minister Di Farmer spoke to the media and informed them that the government had received advice from the Solicitor General that it was likely an incorrect interpretation of the Youth Justice Act that had allowed the Queensland government to basically cold children in adult watch houses and prisons for the last 30 years. So kids are already being held in these facilities, but it wasn't lawful and they've just discovered that. Does Queensland have higher rates of crime than other states? They have, they're like, mm. part of the problem with this is, <laughs> sorry, part of the problem with the higher rates of crime is the way they're criminalising different youth offences too. So the first time they changed the Human Rights Act this year was to make breach of bail an offence for children. So they're actually increasing their own powers to criminalise what kids are doing and put them in youth detention. So it's not necessarily higher crime rates, it's just tougher laws. Yeah, and the Queensland government, which is a Labor government and claiming to be progressive, are the tough on crime state. Mm. And there's like a lot of stuff in the media where they're just sort of like cracking down on youth delinquents and that's like a constant media message that they're feeding. And so this is just adding on to that, right? Now, the Youth Justice Act says children remanded in police custody must be moved into youth detention as soon as is practicable. I hate that word. I always say like it wrong. Word. It doesn't sound like a real world. Basically, it's a reasonableness test. It's like how fast can you move them, how fast is effective, blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. But for several years, children have been held for extended periods of time, in some cases up to 40 days in adult facilities, right? So basically the idea is the Solicitor General told the Youth Justice Minister if this was tested you might be found to have been doing this unlawfully and need to change the Act. So they've gone and suspended the Human Rights Act, brought through the changes overnight to ensure that they are lawful in their actions, even though for the past 30 years they've been engaging this and it's potentially been unlawful. So it's just a big covering their ass. Yes, it is. That's exactly what it is. And I want to really highlight The Guardian has done some exceptional reporting on this. Earlier this year they said a Queensland magistrate expressed concern about children being held in watch houses where adult detainees are often drunk, abusive, psychotic or suicidal. They also documented concerns including a lack of appropriate facilities for girls, limited access to showers, clean clothes and sunlight. There also was a report in The Guardian from a whistleblower in a watch house in February who had witnessed illegal strip searches of children and a girl placed in a cell with adult men. I did not realise how many people were in a watch house 
at a time. I didn't even really know what a watch house no, was. No, we talked about this this morning. So a watch house is basically where people are held when they've been arrested. Yeah. Um, it's like not a prison facility. It's like an intermediate place, yeah. basically. And so, yes, it's for extended periods of time, but this is a dangerous and circumstance. children in there with adults. And we need to keep in mind, it's children as young as 10. And the issue here that I want to explain is... Queensland is increasing youth incarceration, right? But they don't have the facilities to hold kids. So they're not building facilities, which they shouldn't be anyway, at the same rate that they're arresting and charging and holding children. So they have no space for them. I did not realise that children weren't even having their own space. In, like, you're in there with scary adults. Yes. And oh the watch houses, like, they're connected to police stations a lot of the time when they're at separate facilities and it just means they're being held in cells with bunches of adults who are saying and doing probably awful things. And like, we just don't know. with no parental guide. My God. It's like the thing about youth incarceration and youth detention that I think is really important to say is no matter how you feel about kids committing crime or what should be done with them, right, I think it's pretty obvious that placing a child in a facility with adults for extended periods of time with limited access to clean clothes, sunlight, basic facilities in dangerous conditions is not going to reduce the chances that they get back out there and become functional members of society. No. It increases reoffending. Trauma and reoffending. So if we're looking at a system of how to empower kids to be better functioning members of society, this is not the way to do it. But also there's lots of conversations happening now about, you know, when a progressive government is claiming to be, you know, I have a personal problem and a personal belief that Anastasia Palaszczuk can't get out there and have a yes to the voice to parliament shirt on and then lock up First Nations kids at 20 times the rate of non-First Nations kids in these conditions and pass that legislation. And what sort of, I mean, I don't even know if you know this, but what funding and effort has been put into the rehabilitation and, like, after this or preventative. No, and this is the thing. It's all reactive and it's all for the public's ability to vote for them on the, like, tough-on-crime stance. Proving that doubling down is always an option, Billy McFarland has announced the return of Fire Festival and tickets are on sale now starting at four ninety nine. Wow, that's pretty cheap. That's starting at four ninety nine. <laughs> okay, Apparently so. they're going to go up to, like... 12,000 or something, if it's anything like last time. Um, In a recent social media announcement, Billy McFarlane has announced that a new fire festival would take place at the end of next year and that he came up with a 50-page outline for it inspired by his time in solitary confinement. I didn't know he's in solitary confinement. Oh, he went to jail over fire festival. Oh my god, I can't wait to hear this story. I oh love live reacting. Oh my god. Okay, if you don't remember the details of fire festival or just how horrific it was, I will recap. It was known as the greatest party that never happened. It was organized by Billy McFarland and rapper Jay Rule. It caused more than 26 million in losses when it was canceled over inadequate accommodation, food, and water. This event had so much hype at the start of it. Like, influences like Kendall Jenner and Bella Hadid promoted this, like, luxury event and it was meant to take place in this private island that supposedly belonged to the drug trafficker Pablo Escobar. Whoa. Um, in reality, though, when festival goers arrived, some paying up to $12,000 for their ticket, all they got was a rain-sodden campsite with emergency tents that are used for, like, disaster relief. Like, that was the accommodation. Their luggage was thrown into a car park. Gourmet food turned out to be cheese sandwiches and takeaway containers. <laughs> there was no running water or electricity. Like, it was a dangerous event. It was fucked up. And obviously Netflix covered this all in a really great documentary. Jay Rule was then cleared, but... 
Billy McFarland was jailed in 2018 after pleading guilty to numerous fraud charges relating to the festival and his company, New York City VIP Access, which sold fake tickets to events such as the Met Gala. Anyways, Billy now swears to have learned from his mistakes and will be doing things differently this time, like holding ticket money in escrow until the festival is actually announced. However, the question I think is, is he talking smack or is this actually happening? Because you would be forgiven for not believing him or like anything that comes out in his mouth. He quite literally did not deliver on a single promise from last time and did end up jailed for fraud. And he is basically offering the same thing again. However, if this does happen at the end of next year and like he does somehow pull this all off and deliver on all of his promises that it's going to be this like shifting event that marks luxury and celebrity and influences. Would that be one of the best moments in pop culture history ever? I don't know because it feels like anyone who would go to this event now is like clout chasing just to see what happens. I think that's true. I think anyone who's buying tickets is like, I just want to be part of this cultural moment. I want to be part of a Netflix documentary part two. I know, but I just don't think people are getting how truly terrible the event was. Like people were starving, freezing, dehydrated. That was a brilliant documentary. I loved that when it went big on Netflix. Oh, my God. It was so good. I mean, would you, is any part of you would curious? No. You wouldn't be interested to go at all? Negative, no. I I mean, cheese sandwiches are delicious, but, you know, I'm not really this girly at the best of times, let alone these conditions. I think maybe I would be interested to go but as long as pay? I didn't go on my own dime. That was my point. Oh. I wouldn't go on my own dime. It's not a meme, though. It's happened. No, he's actually, an, like, people have paid for tickets already. I mean, I just think, like, you wouldn't clearly risk going to prison a second time. So surely he's going to do it right this time. Surely, but also maybe he's just insane. I just have this feeling that this is going to just flop, but not in a way that's, like, fraudulent, just in a way that's, like, no one cares anymore, the time has passed. Well, apparently these tickets are already selling. Because people are silly. That's what I mean. There's going to be enough people curious that I actually reckon it would sell out. Watch this space, right? Like, surely we have an update, see how it goes. I I mean, I'm certain Kendall Jenner's not going to give it a second run of, like, promoting it. No, I wouldn't either, unless she was being paid 100 grand to do it. I can't believe people paid... I think they were paid lots of money. Huge amounts last time. Watch this space. Watch this space. We have confirmation that Peter Dutton's PR team have the worst job in the world after another failed attempt to humanise him on the ABC's kitchen cabinet. Massive backfire. Massive backfire. The mainstream media don't seem to be reporting on this one either. Yeah, this got sent through to us in, like, our inbox a few times, and that's how I heard about it. Yeah, same. I mean, I don't watch this show, but I was interested to chat about this, and I want to start by saying, so Kitchen Cabinet is a show hosted by Annabelle Crabb. It's had multiple seasons. It's on the ABC, and you can watch it through iView, I believe, now. But essentially the premise of the show is it's like a personalised look behind the curtain at a politician's life. Mm. So she interviews people from across the political spectrum. She's interviewed some of the biggest names, and they basically take you into their home, cook a meal, eat it together, have an interview. It's like a chicken shop date, but so much worse. That's a really good joke. That's a really good, Sarah. I love chicken shop dates. But I think that also, before we get into it, it's important to highlight there was so much backlash that Annabelle Crabb received for just interviewing him. Just giving him airtime at all. Literally, she was, like, abused on social media and took a couple days off because when she posted about it before it went live last week, basically she had just been berated by people. I think the argument here is, like, you're humanising a politician that dehumanises other people. Mm. And I think that, I know we need to get into the facts, but I think to start, I think that that's a really unfair thing to say because it is her job as a journalist 
to do this work and it is unfair to actually not give him the opportunity to speak when he's the opposition leader of the country. Yeah, no. Also, it was an opportunity for him to roast himself and he did and let's get into that now. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's going to say, like, let someone be their own demise, really. Exactly. What did he actually say? So last week when he appeared on the program, Dutton described Indigenous Australians in Alice Springs as living in absolute squalor, arguing that law and order had been broken down in some areas. Um, It's interesting because the way that Annabelle Crabb actually framed the question was about Indigenous culture. She was asking him about culture and what he found most interesting or profound or something about Indigenous culture and he went directly to talking about squalor of the conditions that they live in. Mm. It's really offensive. It is a racist remark and it's a really problematic remark in many ways. But it's also just, from my perspective, it's just interesting that when the opposition leader was asked about our first peoples, the oldest continuing culture in the world, that he went directly to criticising law and order living conditions and that angle, like I think it speaks volumes about him. Yeah. Or um, it's just, again, an opportunity to humanise himself and to say on a separate note, apart from the politics of it all, nothing. Nothing. He just went straight to that black and white thinking mm. really clearly. Um, and also, like, there was some other commentary that's worth noting. He justified racialized comments he made in 2016 about uh, Lebanese Muslims migrating to Australia. When, in 2016, the comments were basically where he insisted that there was an overrepresentation of people who were radicalised. He said he shouldn't have made the comments and he said he's apologised, but he also said, this is the statement he gave, when you're in the thrust of it and in the thick of it, we were dealing with people who had been radicalised and many of them shared a background and that's sort of the factual reality of what we were dealing with. Every time you have an opportunity to say something better, it's the wording, it's the tone. Like you just want to rattle this person a bit and be like, you need to catch up. <laughs> you need to catch up with the world and the way that we speak. But I think it's it's it was a really interesting insight into this person who, you know, he also doubled down on comments that he made about African gangs in Victoria. There was just a range of things that he said that were really highly problematic. And the reason I wanted to talk about them on the podcast was because I haven't seen much of the mainstream media addressing it and it is problematic. I agree it's problematic. Do you think part of it is just because he in himself is a bit of a meme right now. No one's surprised by it. Like, it's not groundbreaking. It's not changing. It's not, like, a shocking... It's exactly what we would expect him to say. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think that... I think that the reason I expected something different, and it's important to highlight this, is because I think we can become desensitised to these people. Like, yeah. if some, like someone like Pauline Hanson, it's like anything she says, it's like, oh, it's just Pauline. And it's like, I never want to do that to someone who's the opposition leader of the country. I think that's a really good point. It's like, yes, none of it's shocking. Yes, we don't expect anything different from him. But is that not in itself shocking because he is the opposition of this country? Yeah. Neonatal nurse Lucy Letby has been convicted of murdering seven babies and attempting to murder six, making her the UK's most prolific child serial killer. Sorry, this is not a fun pop culture story, but we sort of had to include it because I know it broke roughly a week ago now and I'm sure you would have heard bits and pieces of this, but I still wanted to include it this week because it is massive news and it just has not left my mind Mm. since I read this story. To summarise, British nurse Lucy Letby was convicted last week of killing five baby boys and two baby girls and attacking other newborns in the neonatal unit at the Countess of Chester Hospital between June 2015 and June 2016. If you don't know, neonatal is for the most poorly babies. It's generally for premature babies. No, no, no. You know, you're right. I just have never heard the word poorly used like that. 
Oh, you know what that is? Because I I used to say poorly as a kid because I grew up in England when I was a toddler. I was and poorly sick over there. If you're feeling poorly, you're feeling oh. sick. Okay, I yeah, didn't know that. So That's, I think sorry, I, that didn't even click to me. Why when am I, was I discovering reading, you grew up in fucking England this way? Just when I was a toddler. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And. There's videos of me being like, I feel poorly, because that's what they say over there. It's really common. So okay. when I was reading these articles, they were saying poorly, and that just completely made sense I'm to me, you. but probably should have explained that. No, that's really helpful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But what we know is that the seven deaths were caused by her purposefully giving excess milk, air, and insulin or fluid to these babies, which is, it's sort of an insane, because I think at the time she was able to play it off as a natural occurrence or just something unexplained. Like, it was so calculated and it's the unthinkable, essentially. Mm. And for the hundreds of babies that pass through Countess of Chester Hospital's neonatal unit on the average year, only between, like, one and three babies would die until 2015 where there was this significant rise in the number of babies that were dying due to this, like, pretty much when she was giving them those excess, it would cause these catastrophic collapses. Um, But it took ages for... I, th- I think that's what's being picked up a lot now in this last week. It's been this criticism of how long it took for police to start investigating and for this to be flagged. Like, colleagues began to get suspicious of Lucy. However, they were told not to worry about it and that there wasn't enough evidence against her. And then in 2016, an external report found that there was no definitive explanation for the high number of deaths. That was the beginning of 2016. And then by May, they finally called the police to begin the investigation. And that's when... Lucy was arrested and her house was searched. And it was crazy. When they went into her house, what they found was hundreds of medical documents and patient records, many of the babies that she had harmed, as well as a bunch of handwritten notes. They were pretty much, these post-it notes were like confessions. Like she wrote, I am evil. I did this. In her diary, it was, I don't deserve to live. I killed them on purpose because I'm not good enough to care for them. I'm a horrible, evil person. Her social media found that she'd searched for 11 of the families and she'd even sent one of the victim's family a sympathy card on the day of the baby's funeral. Oh, my God. And then by 2020, she was charged. Now the latest in the story is that UK ministers have announced an independent inquiry into how Lucy Letby was able to carry out so many of these attacks before it was reported to police. So that is sort of the latest. People just like, how the fuck did this happen, really? It's it's like the case I think captures the attention of the world too because it's like not only has this person decided to go after babies who are the most vulnerable members of society, Mm. but she's chosen a vulnerable cohort within that vulnerable cohort. Yes. And she's exploited them on the basis of that weakness. And also she's gone for like twins and triplets. Like it's so specifically horrific and strange and disgusting and it's like I'm watching a lot of the stories this week where doctors were interviewed about you know someone who raised the alarm and Mm. there's so many things unfolding and so many interviews like it's it's really captured the attention of the world because it's just so unfathomable as a story. I think that is it and I think yes colleagues started getting suspicious but before that like when people have been interviewed about it now who worked with her or were friends with her they were like she's one of the quotes is literally she was very beige it was very much like no one ever would have suspected that from her. Some people even praised her as, like, an amazing nurse, yeah. right in emergency situations. The doctor like, that raised the alarm that I saw the interview with said she was someone that you wanted in an emergency situation because she mm. was so calm. Yeah. It's really just destabilising to think about these situations it, because I think it's one of those moments where you think it could be the person next door. Like, that's how it feels. Oh, my God, yeah. It's, it's harrowing. What was crazy about the trial as well is that she just did not seem to show emotion. Yeah. Yeah. Until, interestingly, until she heard one of her colleagues give evidence against her and it was someone that apparently she really liked and once had a crush on and that's when she started crying. 
That's sick. Mm. Awful story. Felt crazy not to include because it has been so big, but she's been convicted. This seems to be the end of it. Yep. So, Q&A time. Now, we've been receiving heaps of messages on our Instagram at bigsmalltalk underscore pod, but there's one that keeps recurring. Yeah. One theme that keeps coming up Which over and over again. Which we've been kind of trying to put a pause on just because we were waiting until we could do it properly in a big unpack, which we're still going to do. Yes. But clearly there's a demand to get our heads around it a little bit before that. Yes, so yes. It's the voice to parliament. It is the voice to parliament. Also, keep sending in your questions, please. Don't stop with the questions every week. Yes, no, they're great. So the question this week from the inbox is... I wanted to know how to speak about The Voice best with my friends. A few friends say that they are voting no because they don't know what it is they're actually voting yes to and we don't know what it even looks like. That is the whole argument from the no side, um, which is if you don't know, vote no. Yes. And the argument is then that if the yes camp can't actually say what this is going to look like, then why would we vote yes to something when we don't actually have the details of it? Like, it could be a disaster. Why would we vote yes to that? And that's a pretty fair call. Like, I totally understand why that would be super confusing and I understand how that is a deterrent. No, absolutely. And I, but I think that um, historically with referendums, I know this is the same argument put forward with the Republic vote mm-hmm. um, where people said, like, we don't understand the detail. We don't understand what we're voting on. That's a really common misconception, I think, here about what the question is and what the potential outcome is. Mm. And I think, again, I want to really clarify, I'm not telling people how to vote. This no. is not a yes or no thing. This is information and this is cutting through the bullshit and getting to the answer so that people can have hard conversations with their family. Because I think... What's tricky about this, and I think why this question is so important, is the more ambiguous you leave it and the more like, oh, but we don't know, Mm. that is a bit of a tactic in itself and it's being used as a tactic. Yes. I think the point to be made here is the Constitution is the rules for how our country is governed, right? So it's like it has the role of the Prime Minister, but it doesn't tell us who the Prime Minister is. That's a And when you said that to me, because even I was like, wait, yeah, that's a good point, and then you explained... A constitution is not reform and legislation. No. A constitution is just you believe it should be included. Yeah, and we've had multiple voices to parliament of some form throughout the years. Multiple governments have brought in Indigenous advisory bodies, right? Mm -hmm. But they've been revoked, underfunded and changed over the course of time. What we're being asked to vote on as individuals, and we all have to vote, yes or no, is whether we support a voice. Mm. That's essentially the question. It's the same as, do you think this country should have a prime minister? Yes. Yes. Do we know who the prime minister is going to be yet or how that's going to run or what they're going to lobby for? No, but we do believe that we should have one. Yes. That is the question. What the constitution does is it sets out the rules for the structure and we fill in the gaps. So as different governments come and go, if the voice isn't working, they can change it. Mm. That is an argument that could be supportive of the yes or no. There is actually a co-implement there is actually a co-design report that people can go and read with sort of a setup and structure and proposal of how the voice will look. So you can access the proposed detail if you want to. Mm. But when we're having conversations in everyday life, I think it's important to remember we are not voting on the detail. We are being asked to vote on whether we support the idea of a voice being locked in into our constitution forever. We don't know how it will necessarily look, but we're being asked if we support its existence ongoing in our constitution for all of time unless another referendum removes it. Is it saying that... Even if it doesn't work or, and I mean, I'd be pretty surprised if it does work on the first go. Like, I think it surely would be a bit of trial and error. Yeah. It just means that it's not set in stone. We can change it and evolve it over the years until we 
do get something that's effective. Absolutely. If we were locking into the detail, that would be kind of problematic because if it wasn't functioning, we wouldn't be able to change without another referendum. Mm. I mean, it's a huge, 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 huge conversation and topic and that is literally just one tinsy question out of it. Um, If you have more questions, please send them through because when we do properly unpack it, which is probably when it's announced very soon. Yeah. We know what it is you guys, like, need covered. <laughs> yeah. Also, I just – sorry, I do want to add something more. I feel like in these conversations with these questions, which are specifically about, about like, this idea of if you don't know, vote no, I want to remind people that it is your responsibility to go and find out. <laughs> As a voter, I want everyone to consider, like, what they could do tomorrow or the next day just to Google something and to actually have a go at learning. I know it's really complicated. I know the media is – confusing a lot of people but we can go and look these things up and we can go and find this information for ourselves and it's not only the responsibility of first nations people we can go researching you know the resources are there you need to look for them but Mm -hmm. it's going to be an ongoing debate it's going to be an ongoing conversation and we aren't going to tell you how to vote but we are going to bring you the information the latest update so that you know what's going on exactly Thank you guys so much for listening again this week. Um, Please send more of your questions in, send feedback in, send anything you'd like and we will chat to you next week. But yeah, send it in on bigsmalltalk underscore pod and also follow, rate, review. Do it all. Do it all. Shameless self-promo. Every week. Every week. Bye. Bye.